Greetings to this part of the service this morning. Good to see you all here coming out as part of the family of God. We have one common father, our father. That last song that we sang is says on the top of the heading, a children's song. I'm not quite sure. I couldn't find the children in that song. I thought it, thought it ministered to me. The wonderful words of life. I know, I think I know the concept as children, as they are growing up and they're looking, developing their uh, perspective of the world and all that, that the words of life go after that. And I understand that part. But we don't get done with it, do we? Trust we don't. Well, I'm not going to be talking specifically to the children, but I want to talk to the youth this morning. And I have a title called The Next Generation. I'm going to read a few verses from Psalms here. I'll just read them. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Gray hairs is in those verses, and another generation is in those verses. Now we have both here this morning. What is the next generation? I should ask you. Well, to me, the next generation is its either youth or it's the young families that are here in this room. That's the next generation to me. Now, to you who are the next generation, your next generation is your children or your future children. A generation is a a definition out of a dictionary. A group of individuals born and living contemporaneously. That's a generation. Did I say that word right? Okay, okay, that was a stretch. A proper use of the word is, and this is a politically correct statement. I made sure it was politically correct, okay? We need to preserve these resources for the future generations. Because they are generations to come. And to need to do that. So there's, in the normal process of life, children are born, they grow up, and they become parents, and then they grow old, and then they die. And the next generation, and it's a process. And it's a very smooth process. One generation passes the baton on to the next generation, and they run for that generation, and they pass it on to the next. The younger generation just sits at the feet of the older and try to get everything out they can until they get it, and then they run. Or is it not quite that smooth? <laughs> or are there sometimes difficulties in passing it on from one generation to the next? 
Is there such a thing as a generation gap? Are there such thing as a reaction from one generation to the next? Or rebellions? As we look at history, we see things both ways. We see a younger generation experiencing revival and renewal. And the younger generation lifts up a standard that is higher than the older generation. We see that. We see that in the scripture. We see that in history. And so their standard of love and commitment and holiness surpasses that of the former generation. Then we also see it the other way, where an older generation lives out a vibrant, faithful walk with God, and we see a generation following that either partially or wholesale forsakes that way. We see that in scripture, and we also see that in history. Just think of the time when Joshua, back in the day when Joshua came into the promised land and they conquered the land. And when that generation passed away, there rose another generation who didn't know God and they began to go a different way. So we see that in the scripture. You know, it's God's purpose that there be a faithful propagation of the truth and the faith to the next generation. And the burden of that falls on the older generation to pass that on. The older generation feels their strength beginning to fade. And they know it will continue to fade. And in not too many years, the balance of the influence and decision making and all of those things will shift to the next generation, and in a few decades, just two decades, it'll be fully on your laps, the next generation. And so, the youth, they have such vigor, and they have such ambition, there is, life is new, it's exciting, The possibilities are almost endless. The ideals are high. And in not too many years, those ambitions, those ideals, will be the ones who are the dominant ideals in the congregation. That's great. That's the way God intended to be. And at that point, it will show the ideals of the new conservatives will be visible, whatever they are. <laughs> Using that term, the new conservatives. Now, the Apostle Paul had a burden to pass on to the next generation the true faith he had received and preached. And his main apostle or his main disciple was, anybody know who Paul's, Apostle Paul's main disciple would have been? A prominent disciple. Someone say something? Timothy? Okay. (laughs) Timothy. Timothy was the next generation for Paul.
not only was Timothy the next generation for Paul, probably about one generation separate, but Timothy was the first of the leaders who was going to be in the post-apostolic age. Just think with me. There was an apostolic age where the apostles lived. And when the apostles died, there was a post-apostolic age. It was similar, and yet it was different. Timothy was going to take the church forth in the next generation in a post-apostolic age. It lay in Timothy's lap then to faithfully communicate or faithful be to be faithful to the foundation that was laid down by Jesus and by the apostles and transition from an error of the written word as opposed to the prophetic word. That was the transition. The dynamics are similar and yet they're different. Paul being taught Timothy being taught by Paul and reliance on the scripture and the Holy Spirit was charged to be faithful. And you can turn to 2 Timothy and we'll read some there as we go in the message here. 2 Timothy will just read a few verses in chapter 2 to show the charge that was given to Timothy by Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the thing that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou unto faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Timothy, you learn it from me. Get it from me, then get it to others, so they can get it to others. That was the charge that was given right there. You know, 2 Timothy was the last letter written by the Apostle Paul. Not long before he was martyred, 2 Timothy was the last word of the Apostle Paul. And so, let's read, I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to read the entire chapter there. And then we'll get point, we'll pull three points out of that chapter. This know also, that in the last days, Timothy, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jannes and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no farther, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as also theirs also was. 
But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Paul's word to Timothy. And like I said, I wanted to pull three headings out of this. The first one is a little more negative. The last two are a little more positive. Number one, be aware. Okay, now I'm going to speak. I'm going to change. Before I say the heading, I'm going to say this. Now I'm going to be speaking to you next generation. This message is from an older generation to a younger generation. Okay. So this is it. Number one, be aware and know the times that you are in. Number two, faithfully receive truths from your teachers and mentors and make them a part of your life. Number three, commit yourselves to the inerrancy and the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures. Now, as I look at your bright young faces this morning, there, are, there is a reality you must know. The Christian race, and it's called a race in Hebrews 12, the Christian race is not a 50-yard dash or a 200-yard dash or that quarter-mile run that we do in our homeschool. It's not that. It's not even a 26-mile marathon, which would do me in. It is a grueling, full-blown, demanding, taxing, exhausting cross-country race. As I look at your fresh, young faces... I'm not going to discourage you. I hope not. But I want you to realize it is going to be more demanding than you expect. You're going to face problems that you did not expect to face. And now I have written down in my notes, smile broadly right here. It's going to be worse than you think, but that's a good thing. Why is that a good thing? Well, it's a good thing, and I I chose a song to bring out why it's a good thing. It's one of my favorite songs. I hope someone sings it at my funeral. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, 
when we have reached the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary, is known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. So if the road is tough, this is the answer. Be aware, point number one, be aware and know the times that you are in. And, of course, that comes right from the first way. This know also, that in the last days, perliest times shall come. Timothy, I want you to know this. I want you to comprehend this. Don't be naive, Timothy. Face the reality, Timothy that the last days are going to be hazardous and dangerous. Timothy, they're going to be more hazardous and dangerous in your time than they were in my time. Paul's saying that in the last days. Now we ask the question, is that true today? Are we in perliest times, young men and young women? Are we in those days... And we could ask the question, are the future days going to be more perilous than now? Well, I'm going to read you a quote. And I want you to think, what kind of context was this quote written in? I want you to think about that first before I tell you where it is. Here's the quote. We have fallen upon times and circumstances in which our predecessors predecessors never were. They could neither give warning against nor instructions about them. We live in times that our forefathers couldn't even foresee. Okay? Now, when do you think that quote was written or said? Does anybody recognize the quote? Okay? It was written by, or uh, said and written down by Christian Newcomer, which was a Mennonite preacher in the late 1700s. And it was true for him, if you think a little bit of the context. His predecessors were either a persecuted religious minority in Europe or a struggling pioneer sect in a new world. But now there have been several generations in the new world and there was prosperity and things were happening that, and there was a lot of things happening. I can't go into all that. But There was a new age for them. In a sense, like there's a new age for us. I think every generation actually has that. So if it's true then, it is still true today. You, young people, are inheriting a society or a world in which our predecessors never inherited or even even know about. You are the new conservatives. You're going, you're going out into a world that we don't know or we can't even hardly imagine. Now think with me a little bit. We've had changes in multiple areas that have changed society in the last several hundred years. And I just named 
uh, a bunch of them here. You had the Industrial Revolution, which mass-produced stuff. That's what it did. Everything. It's interesting. I was reading last evening a Frank Reed's article where he was talking about when he was a boy, they used to milk a neighbor. He used to help the neighbors milk cows by hand. And he described how you approach the cow, how you alert her that you're coming, and you've got to go in the right side. There's a right side and a wrong side to milk a cow from. I don't know if you know that, but you farmers know that. And how you did this whole thing, and then you finally got this mitten going, and occasionally had to get the foot out of the bucket, but you just strained it and still sold it. It was okay. And uh, he made mention how milking cows has been changed from an art to a science. That's what we've done with most of society. We chase most of everything, and now now we've got to create our own art because everything has been changed from an art to a science. Mass production. Make your own shoes by hand. That was an art. Now it's, it's a science. Anyway, that's just one of the areas. Mass production, uh, industrial revolution. We have a transportation revolution, which has just changed. We have an educational revolution. We have a medication, medical revolution. And... Now, especially now, we have a communications revolution. Every one of them affects us both positively and negatively. Just think of the Internet, the cell phone, social media. One generation ago, would have never imagined it. I I don't know if if there were some people who did or not, but I can't. I didn't. In the last days, men shall be lovers of themselves. That is the heading given in Scripture before describing what the lovers of themselves do. They will be traitors, proud, disobedient. But people have always been that way, right? So what's the difference today? It's speed and efficiency. It's the difference today. Everything that was negative back then is sped up hundreds of times. While this new, this, while this true, there's really nothing new under the sun. The speed in which it happens has increased tremendously. Transportation would be one example. You know, when you had before, you had efficient transportation. You had communities, and I grew up in a community. We didn't have horse and buggies, but we were in a horse and buggy community. I know what it's like to feel like you're a part of a community where you knew all the neighbors several miles out, almost all. And there was a working day, there was a community element that is missing for the most part today. Now, that's a negative. I mean, I'm glad for transportation. There's lots of positives, but there is a negative in that. I think actually has weakened the structure of the family and society in general. There is less community and more individualism. And so I'd like to talk a little more specifically about communication because this is the world that the next generation is going to be living in. How does modern communication affect you, the next generation? Um... 
In the last days, if earliest times will come, if people are consumed with themselves, that's what we see. People are lovers of themselves, and then it has a whole list of how they love themselves. Um, taking selfies of themselves, right? Is that a new word, right? <laughs> Letting everybody know what they're doing all the time about themselves. It's sped up. We've always wanted to promote ourselves, so to speak, but it's sped up. Okay, in 1950s, when television arrived on the scene, insightful Christians said that it would rob Christians of their devotional time with God. And it did, largely. Not altogether. But not only that, it brought the world into the living room of most houses. I was one... Our household was one of the 2% of the homes in this nation that did not have a television. Only 2%. 98% of the homes in this country, when I was a boy, had TV. Okay. The TV was a major step in the communications revolutions. And if you Christians were avoided that technology and were spared most of that indoctrination... Now we are in the middle of a next major leap in communication technology. It's the Internet, cell phone, and social media. Now, if it's true that we live in perilous times, and if it's true that people will be full of big talkers, people will consider nothing sacred, not even marriage, there will be an error of disobedience to parents, there will be slanderers, there will be evil speakers speaking evil of what is good, if that is true, that evil communications corrupt good manners, then, if that is all true, what is the effect of the next generation that is so easily connected to them via the various forms of media in our hand or in our pocket? No. I trust you are not connected to pornographic sites or romance or other inappropriate things. On the, You're not connected to them. I hope you're not. You're not in the dark underworld of the Internet. You're just bumping shoulders with people or with ministries who have or are slowly walking away from truth. That's all you're doing. Even as they are talking and saying spiritual things and involved in spiritual things, they are helping people. They really care. They are so friendly and inclusive. You know, I want to bring some perspective in here. We hear a lot about how bad the Pharisees are. Rightfully so. Pharisees were a bad lot. By all means, do not be a Pharisee. I'm not sticking up for them. But there is another side. 
In Old Testament times, it was the false prophets who were popular and well-liked. They were not viewed as false prophets by and large. They were successful preachers with successful ministries. People liked their personality and their message. It connected with them. Did you know that? Those false prophets' messages connected with the people who were listening. They could be religious, feel good about themselves, and still do what they wanted. That's what the false prophets did. The world always had people and situations like that, but now that influence is sped up in your generation especially. It's coming. I don't know what you're going to face. Those ministries, and get this, the adherences to those ministries are now available to us 24-7. And that is your generation. We didn't have that in our generation, not at that speed. When my wife and I started keeping house, we had two regular bills. It was the phone bill and electric bill. That was it. Now we had taxes and other stuff like that, but it's very simple compared to today. In situations where individuals are dropping off simple godly dress and roping themselves with the world's garments and hairstyles and showing themselves on Facebook and the comments come in, oh, how nice you look. How cute, how sharp. Maybe not dropping all the simple dress, but just pushing the envelope a little further. And then again a little further and get the same comments. They are moving, unfortunately, the wrong way. When they should be going north on 81, they're going south. And you know what going south means in double meaning. And if you go with them, you will go the wrong way. Now, when will somebody be a, get over the fear of being called a Pharisee and stand up as a true prophet of God and instead of going with the flow of comments, of commendation and blessing or whatever you do, stand up and give a water of caution or of um, a concern. When will someone do that instead of all the other? What does Paul tell us, tell Timothy to do with these people? He says, from such, turn away. That's the King James language. The English Standard Version says, avoid such people. Avoid them. The living, New Living Translation says, stay away from people like that. They say, well, they're very wicked people. Well, no. It says they have a form of godliness, but denying the power. They are religious people. Some of them are.
stay away from people like that, maybe we could say in 2016, use a word that's a brand new word. Maybe you need to unfriend them. Oh, how awful. Earl, you are so hard-hearted. Well, take your case to Paul and not to me, please. Paul's the one who said, avoid people like that. Or God, let God be true and let and every man a liar. You know, many times we can often take direct frontal attacks to our faith. But what's the hardest is that little by little by little drip. And we capitulate to that quicker than we do to a direct attack. That we know where the battle is, we know where the front is. We don't do so well with a steady acclimation. I'm not saying that word. When you acclimate something, you, you're sort of acclimated. And normalization of a lower standard that we are continually exposed to and we don't realize what is happening. Because evil communication do corrupt good manners, both in small ways and in large ways. Next generation. This is the world that you are going to be inheriting. It'll be in your laps in about 20 years. And as you try to raise your families and shepherd the people of God in your day. And even beyond that, we could say we have fallen upon times and circumstances which our predecessors never were. They could neither give warning against nor instructions about them. There are things out front of us that I don't even know what's going to be there. Okay, number two. Thankfully, there's no clock, so you just don't know how late it is, right? <laughs> number two. That is the longest one, I think. Faithfully, faithfully receive truths from your teachers and mentors and make them a part of your life. And uh, I'm going to read that verses again. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, and long-suffering, and so on. Yea, all that live in godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the thing that thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. You know, this isn't rocket science. Paul is saying, avoid certain people. And then he says, stick close to certain people. Avoid the influence of some, but seek the influence of others. And there's a key. Point two has two parts. The first part is faithfully receive truths. Truth. Truth is propositional. Truth is reality as defined by God. God is eternal. Only God is eternal. Everything else is created. Everyone is responsible to God. Man has an immortal soul. Man is fallen and is estranged from God. Mankind needs salvation. Jesus Christ came so that man could come back to God. All those are, are truths. 
and the next generation needs to receive those truths and a thousand more truths. Learn it from those that you know. Not from the charismatic personality that you don't know or whom you don't know the outcome or the fruit of his teaching. I heard an excellent preacher one time. This preacher, as I was, as I remember, was preaching out of the Old Testament. Now I should say, it was preaching like I imagined one of the Old Testament prophets would preach. Like when a time when Israel was straying from God. It took actually a passage from the Old Testament, brought it into our day and age, and a clear analysis was given about the dire situation of the church of our day in America. Reasons were given why the church is where it is. And a clarion call was given to repent from the things it was doing wrong and turn to God. This preacher was a gripping and an excellent communicator. In fact, she was one of the best preachers I have ever heard. Now, what do you do with that? Truth has to be higher than what grips your heart or inspires you in one way or another. You have to remember that. We need inspiration. We need to be gripped. We need to be inspired. But there's something higher than that. Don't let just anything sweep you off your feet. Sometimes it is time to cool off our heated ambitions and pause and wait on God. We could go to Peter where he tells to add to our faith, our precious faith, our faith which provides for us this exceeding and precious promises. We need to add to our faith virtue and knowledge and patience and on down the line. So, Receive, faithfully receive truths, truths from the generation before you. Then the second part of this point is actualize your faith in the real world that you live in, in your home, at work, in your recreation, in your ministry, in the mission field. The future, younger generation, the future of the church Rest on you. Now, I've heard this disagreement already here that some people say to the young people, and they have young people in a group, and they say, you are the future church. And someone say, no, you are the church. Okay, they're both true. Okay? You are the church. You youth that are, that are born again, you are the church today. But in the future, you will be the church. You will be the ones. And the future of the people of God rests on the next generation. And so I say to you, grow, be diligent, be earnest, be committed to go the long way. After all, this is a cross-country race. Prepare for that future day. You know, when I was born again at the age of 24, one of my regrets that I had was at 24 
I was married, and we soon had our first child. One of the regrets I had was the years that I spent in vanity and pride. And I considered them wasted years. There was so much time I just blew away that could have been used for preparation for the future that I wasted. Now I'm married with children have less time. Back then I was free from most responsibility. Now here you are. You're not spending your time in vanity and pride. Trust you aren't. The question is, what are you spending your time on and your resources on, your money? Are you preparing to accept the future responsibility from us, the older generation? Are you making the most of every opportunity? Are you studying the word of God? Are you learning from your mentors? Are you putting it into practice? Are you learning how to pray? Are you exercising yourself in ministry with your whole heart? That's what will prepare you for the future church. Spurgeon says in the devotion I got a few days ago, just a real short clip, said we all need a few thunderclaps to jar us awake sometimes. And the Lord often does that through circumstances and difficult experiences. (laughs) Okay, so faithfully receive truth from your teachers and mentors and make them a part of your life. Number three, commit yourselves to the inerrancy and the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures. And I'm going to read the last verses of that chapter. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Timothy, Paul saying, the scriptures that you learn as a child, they are breathed out by God. By now, some of you may be thinking, well, is this a whisper down the lane exercise? You are to learn from your mentors, your, the, the prior generation, you are to learn from them. And then you are to teach the next one, and then they are to teach the next one. And you know how a whisper down the lane exercise is. It's, it's, it's especially hilarious when you can see it, when you don't just whisper, but you actually act it out. And you've probably all been experiences like that. And it, it just, it's just it's hilarious. But it's not hilarious when it happens in church life. It's a tragedy if you see a whisper down the lane. So what's the answer to that whisper down the lane? Well, it's the word of God. There is a touchstone. There is a rule. There is a standard to adhere to. And for the next generation, this has to be. But even here. Even in this scripture, we have a generational aspect. Timothy learned it from his grandmother and then from his mother. And then he learned it from Paul. So he has, it's, it has, still has a generational aspect. You don't reinvent the wheel, okay? 
every generation doesn't go to the scripture. Okay, what does it? No, no, you don't do that. But you do stay. It is a touchstone. It is a check. It is a balance. It is the word. Never surrender your high view and confidence in God's word. You know, we live in an era now, and I don't know what the era in your 20 years from now. Let's just imagine 20 years from now. I don't know what for era you're going to be living in. But live in an era that's more pluralistic and secular all the time. The next generation is going to face challenges that we have not faced in arenas that we have not been challenged in. Do I know what those areas are? Not really, but I know that a generation ago, we would have no idea where the LGBT movement would go in one generation. We had no idea. And also that so many so-called churches either accept it or are sympathetic to it. We had no idea of that. But there are other ways that the authority of the Bible is weakened today. Friday night, I was given a book where I just read little excerpts out of it. And in this book, the claim was made that most of the Bible examples and decisions are based on culture. Um, They did it in the Bible the way they did it because it was a cultural thing to do it, and so that's how some of the things were done. I don't know if I'll make it clear or not. I'll try to make it clear. Since we live in our culture, we need to superimpose our culture over the Bible. And in this book, she emphatically stated there is no such thing as biblical womanhood or biblical manhood or biblical this or biblical that. Because the biblical examples that we make a biblical womanhood or a biblical manhood out of were cultural. And so there is no such thing as biblical this or that because you use your culture and then you superimpose it on the scripture. That is actually the wrong way. To start with culture and then superimpose it on the scripture is opposite. You actually do it the other way. You take the scripture and you superimpose it onto culture. And the scripture produces a biblical culture. That way around, not the other way around. You understanding what I'm saying? I don't know if you understand. There is such a thing as a biblical culture. Let's say it that way. And there is such a thing as an unbiblical culture also. So the difference between which one is superimposed over the other is tremendous because it will affect all areas of life. Family, work, ministry, lifestyle, finances, and on down the list. And I don't have more examples. Of course, there are other ways that the word has been and still is discredited. Some, this, these are some old ways from the prior generations. They say the Bible only contains the word of God. It isn't the word of God, but 
the word of God is in it some places. That's one way it's weakened. Someone else has said the Bible is inspired the way that Shakespeare is inspired. It's just inspiring. It'll inspire you to live right. Well, yeah, it does that, but that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is higher than just an inspirational book. Others say that the history of the Bible is only stories passed down and not being not to be taken as literal history. And that's the main reason why answers in Genesis exist, because they say the Bible history is history and is accurate. And there are many other attacks on the word of God. What will you face in the future? I, I don't know. Will you have just more of the same or where there will be something new. But be sure, be assured you will be faced with attacks on the word of God. You, at that point, 20 years from now, I'm going to put you down 20 years. 20 years from now, you will be the one getting either the frontal attack of those attacks or the subtle undercurrent attacks. And you will be the ones facing them. If you're going to be faithful to the word of God, you will need to, at that point, be equipped and be willing to stay faithful. You will either be faithful faithful and competently pass on the faith to the next generation, or you will falter. Now, what is the difference between a Christian generation and a heathen generation? Just one unfaithful generation. One unfaithful generation breaks the chain from a faithful generation to a heathen generation. When Noah stepped off the boat, everybody on the boat knew the power and the judgment of God. But that chain was lost very quickly. There was unfaithful propagation of that faith produced all the heathen that we have in the world today. Now, for the next generation, here in closing, just a few more words. I am mostly a self-taught individual. I have not had people discipling me to large measures. So in that sense, I am more of a loner. I want you to understand who I am. And I feel a keen weakness as a leader to effectively disciple the next generation, besides in teaching. That is the gift I have. But when it comes to discipling and mentoring, I feel my weakness. I am not that person. There are others here who are that person, that who are people like that. And they can, together, one generation, it's a collective effort. Um, men, fathers, husbands, wives and mothers, and older ones, and likewise, are collectively to, uh, to disciple and mentor the next ones. It's not the only thing we do, but it is one of the things we have to do. But I encourage each one of you younger ones to think a little bit. Think seriously. 
Imagine the weight of the next generation on your shoulders, and you're thinking, how will I pass it on to the next generation? Think about that a little bit. And then think, what do I need to do to prepare for that? Have that urgency on your shoulders. Really get to know the Lord Jesus and to make him known. Now, what's the opposite of that? Just float along, not real serious, not really diligent. Just wasting your time, wasting your money, doing things you like to do, rather than dedicating everything to the Lord. Not doing wicked things, but just not making opportunity that is here. So, there are three points I have for the next generation. Be aware and know the times that you are in. Faithfully receive truths from your teachers and mentors and make them a part of your life. Commit yourselves to the inerrancy and sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures and avail yourselves of them. Why don't we just stand for a word of prayer before we close. Father, we are grateful to you that you are our Father this morning and that together we can come to you and not only receive that grace and that blessing and things, but also recognize and experience your love for us. Lord, as we have looked at this topic this morning of the next generation, I just pray, I just pray for them right now. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would work also in their hearts mightily. I pray, Lord, that the next generation will be faithful and that they will, Lord, take the torch, the, the testimony, the, the uh, testimony of a people on earth forward into the next generation and be faithful as they do it with joy, with assurance, and with your power. So, Lord, I just pray, I pray you work in their hearts. I pray, Lord, you be with us as the older generation, Lord, as we consider our responsibility and the privilege we have of a younger generation that is here, that is looking to us, that is appreciative of us, almost without exception. And I thank you, Lord, for that. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue that, would grow, and, Lord, that your purposes would continue on. So, Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.